Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. Hi, welcome to SCF Online Sunday. Um, today, I would like to show you my bag as we get started. Here it is. I love my bag. It was a gift from my husband uh, one Mother's Day many, many years ago. And I love this bag because I throw so many things into it, really. It's a little bit of a nightmare. Um, and there's a saying we have in the U.S. that I've got everything but the kitchen sink in there. So literally, I've got like a scarf and I've got a nail file and some hand sanitizer and um, breath mints and... I, I've got another bag in here, too. It's a bag with bags. Now, a few years ago, my chiropractor gave me a little talking to, and he said, Ruth, you've got back pain, and you're all twisted up. Now, it would really help you out if you would stop carrying such a heavy load on one shoulder and instead um, carry less. And I thought oh, wait a second, you're cutting into my sense of security and being prepared for all these situations. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And so that's when I converted to just carrying a small bag whenever I'm able um, with just my essentials. And that's working out much better for me and my back. So there's good news there. Um, but it tends to be that Actually, in life, I tend to carry around things that I don't need to. And so let's just take a little look in my bag. What am I carrying around? Oh, look at that. I carry some time stress. And, ooh, some money stress. And this is, the next one's the worst. I carry people stress. I don't know how that resonates with you, um, but sometimes I just need to let go of some of the things that I'm carrying, especially things that don't belong to me. Um, now, last week, Pastor Dale preached about um, the struggle that we have with anxiety and worry, um, and that we need God to transform our minds so that we can trust him to provide for us. Um, he talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and how the boy gave up his lunch of the, the two fish and the five loaves of bread. And he said, God can be trusted with your lunch, kind of as a metaphor for God can be trusted with your future. And that's just so true. Um, and it reminds me of my favorite Bible verse, and that's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Uh, now, this verse has served me well over my life, um, mostly because trust is just really important to me, security and safety. And it gave me a way to, um, to lean into God when things don't make sense to me. And I could just hand those things on over to him. Um, and entrust him with it. And it, there's also a promise that when I do that, when I'm leaning into God, um, that he will direct me. 
he will guide my steps and, and show me the way forward. Um, so I've always kind of known, okay, this is what God wants for me and his leading and his, his direction for my life. Because I've, from the time I was very young, was able just to incorporate this um, entrusting my life to God. Now, um, it also dawned on me that actually this is a picture of discipleship. Um, we are God's people. Um, we are followers of Jesus. We're in relationship with him, and we're constantly laying down things that are in our life and submitting to his ways. And he's the one who leads us and guides us. Um, but there are things that get in the way of, of us trusting him. And there are things that get in the way from having that, um, that path being straight. And usually it comes down to one of these three areas, that time stress, money stress, people stress. Um, and today I would like to suggest that we can trust God with our time. And we can trust God with our money. And we can trust God with our pain. Now, each of these areas are very personal to us, and they tend to weigh heavily on our hearts. Um, and especially, we find ourselves in Shanghai, and it's just a rat race. And the city here, the culture here, the vibe here, it's all about hustle, and it values time, and it values money, and it val values status and power like nothing else. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in what, what the world says is important instead of stopping and surrendering to God's ways because we know that his ways are better than our ways. Um, but his kingdom is upside down and his values are upside down. And I think that we often miss out of the peace of God in our lives because we put our trust in our own strength and our own security. And our communities miss out because we, the people of God, are not bringing God into our lives here. So today we are gonna talk about three areas of trusting God, three practices that we can do. Um, and we can trust God with our time um, by intentionally resting. We can trust God with our money by generously giving. And we can trust God with our pain by freely forgiving. Now, these are pretty big topics on their own, and we're just going to scratch the surface. Um, but as we listen to these, I just would like to throw out three questions to you, because I really want to see not really about the what, but what is God doing behind the scenes in us? Why is he asking us to do these things? Why are we submitting ourselves to him in these ways? Um, and the first thing I'd like you to focus on is our focus. Where does this draw our attention and our eyes? Okay, the second one is our identity. What does it say about who we are? And third, what are the benefits? So what is, 
practicing this? What does it open us up to receive from God? Um, when I say open us up, I mean we're not entitled to anything. <laughs> we don't do things to force God's hand or to try to control him. Um, but when we follow God's ways, we just open ourselves up to um, the peace of God, the shalom, the provision, the abundance, um, all the benefits that walking in his ways brings. We open ourselves up to receive that. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, the first one is that we trust God with our time by intentionally resting. Now, time is what something we all have, um, and we've all been given the same amount of days, the same amount of hours um, in each week. And yet, no matter what your life is like and what my life is like, it just seems like it's never enough. Um, we are maxed out, we're exhausted, we're overwhelmed, over-functioning, over-thinking, and now with our cell phones, um, we're always on call. This is a bit of a problem. Our nervous systems are so out of whack, it's affecting our physical and our mental health. Now, some of this is caused by external sources. We have a really demanding boss, we have heavy workloads, maybe a, a, a family, um, maybe we're trying to take care of aging parents, or maybe we have an illness, there's some other factor that is driving our busyness. Um, but some of this is caused by our own internal motivators. Um, we're, we're addicted to doing, um, to performing, um, to achieving. And even when we've done all that we need to do, it's like we cannot stop. We have to keep on going. Um, keep on doing more, maybe to try to outrun our pain, I'm not sure, maybe to try to prove ourselves as um, strong or capable or successful or responsible. I don't know what you're, what's motivating you, but I know that we are all, um, we all struggle with this in some way. Um, and usually we develop unhealthy unhealthy coping mechanisms to deal with this and to avoid our, our reality. Um, I don't know, is anyone here addicted to their cell phone? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, we all are. So how can we make the madness stop? Um, I would like to suggest that we could practice Sabbath, a day of rest. Um, now this literally comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally just means to stop working. Um, but it's the, it's the entrance into being able to enter into a state of rest. Um, now, we see this concept really come alive in the book of Exodus after Moses has helped to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt um, and they're about to go into the promised land, but they're still in, in the desert. And God institutes this way of, of being, of working, and where they will work for six days and they will gather their food for six days, but then on the seventh day they will rest. Now, 
I'm really, really curious about this because how on earth did this come across to, to this people who were former slaves? I mean, they probably never had a day off ever. Um, and this was just like a whole new reality. So what was God doing by having the, the people rest every seventh day? Um, what was this doing? I think that he was trying to make them free. He had already delivered them out of slavery, but he needed to free their mindset and help them to become the people of God who were living in freedom and no longer in oppression. Um, and he wanted to develop his trust, their trust in God, that he would provide for them. I don't know about you, but this really, really resonates with our crazy and chaotic world that we live in. And we're not in slavery, but sometimes it has some kind of similar dynamics where we're being driven um, for more and more and more and more. And um, yet we need to just stop and be free. Actually, one of the most um, curious things for me is that God took a Sabbath. Back in the creation story in Genesis 2, he, he created the world, and then on the seventh day he rested and enjoyed his creation. Now, why on earth would God need to rest? Was he tired? That just doesn't sound right. But it seemed like, okay, this is what God does to enjoy the work or the fruit of his labor, to enjoy the work of his creation. And if we are made in the image of God, it makes sense that this is how we were designed to function. Um, and just like our father, he is inviting us to live as we were designed to live. Um, and in my work, I've been reading different uh, articles where the world, the world is figuring this out, neuroscience and psychology and um, the medical field, they're all figuring out that actually to be physically healthy, to be spiritually healthy, to be mentally healthy, um, we need breaks. And actually, um, this, this article I just read had to do with we have breakthrough thought processes and in our problem solving, we have increased creativity when we're not focusing on something. So in other words, the greatest breakthroughs that we have to our thinking comes when we're resting. And that's why you get all these great ideas when you're in the shower or you're uh, still in bed and you wake up and you thought, oh, in the middle of the night I had this great idea. Because we were designed for our brains to reroute around problems in times of rest. Okay, but there's something else that's also happening here. Um, and I just want to read Psalm verse 46, verse 10a, the first part of that psalm. I want to read it in three different translations because it's kind of interesting uh, what this is saying. It says, um, be still and know that I am God. This is NIV. Uh, in New, New American Standard, it says, um, stop striving 
and know that I am God. Do you see that? Stop striving. Be still. Stop striving. Um, And I really like also the Passion Translation says, surrender your anxiety. Be silent and stop your striving, and you will see that I am God. Wow, this this really hits home to me because I think that we are constantly pushing ourselves, striving, 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 and um, maybe towards our own salvation, maybe towards our own value or our own worthiness. But actually, this points to Jesus because true rest only comes from what he did for us on the cross. He paid the price for our sins, and there's nothing, there's nothing we can do to earn it, ever. And it's a gift that's freely given. And so when we receive that from him, we are coming into that place of true rest, and Sabbath points the way to him. I love this quote from Missy Takano. She says, or she writes, When followers of Jesus observe the Sabbath, we live as if this restoration has already taken place. We take a break from the broken rhythms of hustle and hardship to set aside a time to honor Jesus' rule, enjoy his presence, and extend rest to the world around us. When we trust God's invitation to come to him and truly rest, we become places where his presence can dwell. So entering into this place of rest is about connecting to God's presence and therefore embodying his presence to this broken world around us. So in summary, in summary, I asked you to look at three questions, focus, identity, and benefits. So let's look at that. Intentionally resting, it draws our focus towards God's presence. Intentionally resting draws, um, it says about our identity that we are made in the image of God. And intentionally resting opens us up to receive rest and health, spiritual health, physical health, emotional health, mental health, relational health. And actually, this seems counterintuitive, but it opens us up to receive increased productivity, creativity, and effectiveness. It's so amazing. Now let's move on to the second point, which is trusting God with our money by generously giving. Now, if you are uncomfortable talking about time, you're probably going to be uncomfortable talking about money. Um, But I have to warn you that the most offensive topic's coming next, so we're not there yet. Um, Actually, the Bible talks about prayer in about 500 verses in the Bible, Um, but 2,000 verses talk about money. So four times talking about money as as prayer. So um, we really need to be talking more about money than we do. Um, because it's absolutely critical to our spiritual health and to the health of our community. Um, The other day I was talking to my daughter, and some of you know me, that I've been in the church a long time, and um, our two kids were born and raised here in Shanghai. Um, And one of my, my daughter, she's 17, so she's gone through Sunday school here at SCF, and 
and whatever. And she was talking about her time in Sunday school. And she said every week they started, uh, there was an offering time, and they were taught to worship God with the three T's, their time, their treasure, and their talents. And I thought, yes, I'm so proud that, um, that this is the heritage that my daughter has received from being a part of our church. Like she's being discipled and raised up from the time she was young to know that we honor God with our time, our talent, our treasures, and our talents. Um, I really like this verse, um, Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. Uh, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. This has just piqued my curiosity because um, this was an agrarian society, like the whole society is based on agriculture, and yet God is saying, bring your first fruits. So bring me the first and the best. Don't bring me your leftovers. And it was a statement of the people to bring the first bits of the harvest to him, trusting that God would provide everything that they needed with what was yet to come. Um, and it comes with, great pr- with a great promise that there would be provision and even abundance t- um, that would come as a result of their trust. Um, Paul says something similar in fir- oh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. Um, you must decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Because, or for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Some other translations say produce a harvest of righteousness in you. So I love this. This is a very similar thing that not, not only are they, um, is Paul encouraging people to give voluntarily and cheerfully and generously, but he's saying that, um, that through that, the community will be blessed, the poor and the needy will be blessed, um, and that God will be doing some deep work of generosity and righteousness in them. And I think that's a powerful promise um, that God will always provide what we need and he will provide even more so that we can be blessing to others. So I would like to encourage you um, to become generous givers. And here are three ways. Um, The first one is to support the house of God. In other words, your local church. Um, The second one is to support people serving in ministry or people who are working to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the last one is to help the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, and the vulnerable. Um, 
throughout the Bible, God has an emphasis on sharing our resources with those in need. So, in summary, let's just look at what does generous giving do? Where does it draw our focus? It draws our focus to God's provision. What does it say about our identity? That we are God's children. He is our father, and he is always there to provide for us. And what benefits does it open us up to receive? Security, increased provision, the ability to be a blessing to those around us, and that there will be a harvest of generosity and righteousness in our lives. Okay, let's move on to the third point. The third way to trust God is with our pain. Um, now, I personally think that this is actually the hardest one, and it's, I think, the most offensive one, um, because forgiveness is hard, and it's less about an outward behavior, and it is really about what we're carrying in our hearts. Um, and it's, it's not like voluntary and cheerful, like giving. It's doing some deep, deep work and letting go of some things um, that we've been carrying around. Um, Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you've refused to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow, like that's a little bit of a gut punch because it's, there's a great implication um, for us that we must forgive people. God is requiring it of us. Now, um, what do you, why do you think that we want to hold on to our pain and our disappointment and our resentment? What does that give us? Um, respect? Maybe security? Maybe a sense of control? I'm not really sure, but we tend to rally around it in our lives. It's, nobody can come near it. It belongs to us. But whatever it is that's going on in, in your heart, in your life, it's time to let it go. Now, that doesn't mean just it just evaporates in thin air like it doesn't mean anything. I would encourage you to give it to God as a gift. Um, your pain, your unresolved um, hurt, your unresolved expectations. Maybe there has been someone who has treated you very unfairly or very unjustly or, or maybe evilly, like things are not fair and are not right, but it is time to hand it over to God as an act of obedience and as an act of worship. The most, I mean, this is hard for me, me too, so I'm just going to say that. Um, but the most helpful way for me to, to, um, to walk in forgiveness is to verbally hand it over to God. Um, and just to say, hey, God, I'm really struggling with this. 
Maybe it's a feeling. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a situation. I'm, I'm really struggling with this, and I don't get it. I can't, I can't fix it. And I'm just going to give this to you. And I want to trust you with the outcome of this. Um, and now there's a few things that, um, that have helped me. And, and another one, too, I just want to say is if it's a really big and heavy thing, sometimes I've found it helpful to write a letter to God, um, just pouring out my heart, and then rip it up or, or burn it up. Um, and just release it to him. Um, so God sees our pain. And I also know that it's, um, well, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 22, he talks about that we need to forgive 70 times seven times, um, which is a lot, <laughs> 490 times, but it kind of stands for this number that is complete and perfect, that's infinite. Um, and I used to feel kind of overwhelmed by that, like, okay, it's going to take me for, you know, it's going to take me forever to forgive. But now I just view it as an opportunity that I don't have to be fully ready to forgive. I only need to take the first step to forgive. And that means that, okay, um, God, I can trust you with the first with the first step. And tomorrow we'll see. And tomorrow I can trust you again. And it's just one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. Um, and that he will make it complete. Because really, I can't do this in my own strength, and you can't either. It is only by him that we are able to forgive. Um, that's what makes it so powerful and what makes it so tied to who we are as followers of Jesus. We cannot be freely forgiven if we are not willing to freely forgive. Um, but I do want to just say that it's important that your pain and your frustration is validated and I want to say that God sees it. He sees you, and he sees your heart, and you can be honest with him. Um, I love this verse from Psalm uh, 126, verses 5 through 6. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And there is hope there. Like, you might just feel the pain of it today, and that's what you're planting in, and that's what you're, you're weeping as you release it to God. But that is not where you will stay, because he promises, he promises hope that he will help you forgive, and he will turn it around in your life to, so that you are shouting with joy. That's the harvest. Um, another practical way uh, to help you forgive, something you can do, is just to pray for your enemies. And um, Matthew 5, verses 44 through 45 says this. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Um, but I say, love your enemies. 
pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And so it's, it's, okay, it's hard to forgive, but it's easy to pray. And we can pray for people who are our enemies and people who hurt us. Um, and we can trust that God will be at work in their lives and that God will be at work in our lives. Um, and do you see the fruit of that? The harvest of that? We will be acting as true children of, of our Father in heaven because that's what it looks like, being followers of Jesus, being God's people looks like this, praying for our enemies, loving our enemies. Now, I, I just want to say a little nuance here. I do know that relationships are complicated, and sometimes repentance and reconciliation don't take place in a way where you can build trust and go forward. Um, I do know that sometimes our relationships look different, but whatever the outcome of our relationships, the one thing that we have control of is that we can forgive. And we can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do with our hearts. Um, and we can hand that over to God, and he will help us. So let's just look back. What does freely forgiving do to our focus? Where does it draw our eyes? It draws our eyes to God's grace. What does it say about our identity? It says that we are freely forgiven. And what does it open us up to receive from him? Forgiveness, peace, freedom, healing of our pain, and hope. Now, in closing, we've just talked about trusting God through three different practices. Now, these are habits and behaviors, but the goal is not just to do habits and behaviors. It's to become followers of Jesus who are changed and transformed both outwardly and inwardly. And so intentionally resting helps us to become intentional resters. That's who we are. And then we are able to embody his presence to a broken world. Okay? Okay, by practicing generous giving, we become generous givers. That's who we are. That's our identity. And we embody his provision to a broken world. By freely forgiving, we become freely forgiven and freely forgivers. And we embody his grace to a broken world. So let's just circle back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Let me ask you this today. What is he asking you to trust him with today? Maybe there's something that um, just seems impossible as, as I've been talking. You know what? And that's okay. That's okay. Go to him and ask him, God, what do you want me to do? What step of faith can I do? How can I trust you more in this area of my life? And he will show you. I am less concerned with what it looks like than I am that you are stepping out and trusting him because that's where he does his real work of transformation in our lives. And maybe if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time and like some of these things are just like easy peasy, check, 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 I can do it all. Okay, where might you need to expand the borders of your trust? that you step outside your routines and you step into something that's risky and vulnerable in a way where you have to depend fully on him. What does he want to do in your lives today? Let's go ahead and, um, and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that your ways do not look like our ways, and yet we always know that your ways are better than our ways. Um, we pray that you would equip us and empower us to trust you. I know that you are doing the, the big work of transformation in our lives, but we want to partner with you, and we want to take steps closer to you. Um, we want to take steps of trust, and we pray that you would show us how to do that. Um, and we pray that you would harvest these, this generosity and righteousness and peace and joy out of our lives because we want to be more aware of your presence and we want to bring your presence into this broken world with us. So we pray that you would have your way in our lives um, and that you would have your way through our lives. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.